You're listening to the Sermon Podcast for the Peak Church, located in Apex, North Carolina. Our church is striving to welcome all who are feeling disconnected from God. And so our hope is that over the next several minutes, you will connect with the God that we are talking about, and you'll resonate deeply with the life that this God wants for you. We hope you enjoy. The scripture passage for today is from the book of Proverbs, chapter 29, verses 22 through 27. Angry people stir up conflict. Hotheads cause much offense. Pride lays people low, but those of humble spirit gain honor. Those who share plunder with thieves hate themselves. Even under oath, they don't testify. People are trapped by their fears of others. Those who trust the Lord are secure. Many seek access to the ruler, but justice comes from the Lord. The unjust person is disgusting to the righteous. The straight path is disgusting to the wicked. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. smartphone users in the world. 4.6 billion people on social media. And the average person spends seven hours of their day online. Let's just sit with that for a second. When I found these numbers, I thought, yeah, the smartphone users and the social media users, that data's probably correct, but seven hours a day online, no way, I'm better than that. I was like, I have all my little timers on my social media apps so I don't just scroll forever. I put my phone in the other room while I do work so I don't get distracted. And then I got real with myself. (laughs) I thought about my work day and how I spend most of it at my computer online. And then I thought about how I come home from my work day and I sit down on my couch and I turn on my TV. Or better yet, I come home from work, I sit down on my couch, I turn on my TV as background noise while I play on my phone because one screen isn't enough. Seven hours a day online. That's like 25% of your day. And if you take take out eight hours for sleeping, I hope you're sleeping eight hours, seven out of the remaining 16 hours is almost 50% of your day spent online. And that's just an average. So some people are spending less than seven hours a day online, but some people are spending more. 
And if you asked me, I could tell you different days of the week I'm spending less than seven hours or more than seven hours online. That is a huge chunk of time spent online. Technology is a very real part of our lives. And we, who are God's people trying to figure out how to live faithfully, have to be real about the role that technology plays. Technology has to be part of the conversation about what it means to be a Christian, what it means to be faithful in the digital age. So, before you start checking out on me, thinking this is going to be a sermon saying, technology's bad, we should go back to the olden days, everyone go off the grid, write each other letters, although I do like letters, so I would accept those if you would write them. Let me be the first to say, that's not this sermon. Like it or not, technology is here to stay. And it doesn't have to be a bad thing. There are so many advances that technology has allowed us that have really made our lives better. I know, I hear a phone going off. I won't make eye contact with you so other people don't know it, but come on. Couldn't have scripted it better myself. I know, I know. It's okay, it's okay. (laughs) Right? We all saw firsthand during the pandemic just how good technology can be for connecting us to our loved ones across distance. Those of you who are worshiping with us online, you see every Sunday how important technology is. You wouldn't be able to be part of this worshiping community if it wasn't for the technology that makes it possible. I'm not here to tell you that technology is all bad. I'm just here to say We need to be real about what role technology is playing in our lives. So, today we are kicking off our brand new sermon series called What the Tech? Spiritual Tips for the Digital Age. There's this quote from one of the church fathers, one of the early Christians who did a lot of work to spread Christianity and to build the church. His name is Augustine. He's from North Africa. And he has this really long quote where he's trying to make sense of sin and how sin can exist in this good world that God created. And don't worry, I'm not going to read the whole quote to you, okay? It's long, it's dense, it's confusing. But basically what he says is, God is good, Everything that God made is good, but the things that God made are just things, right? They're not God. So those things, the creation, is susceptible to all the forces of the world, good and evil. And when evil enters the world, right, when we see in Genesis 3 that the humans who are in charge of protecting and keeping creation good did not follow God's instructions— then the creation gets distorted. It gets corrupted. There becomes this presence of evil in a thing that was once good. Now, I know some of you are looking at me like, why are you talking about this and technology? Well, this quote about sin and good and how good can be corrupted is kind of how technology works too. Technology can be a really good thing. There are so many advancements in communication, education, travel, in medicine, right? These are really good things that technology offers us. But how we use technology can also corrupt it, twist it, turn it into something bad, even though it was once good. 
So this is going to be kind of our guiding framework for this sermon series about how technology can be really good and what happens when it goes wrong and how we can protect ourselves from that so that we're not harming our relationship with each other, with God, and even with ourselves. So we'll be turning to our wisdom literature in Scripture for, well, wisdom on how we can do that. The wisdom literature is in the Old Testament. It's Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Job. And the wisdom literature is really interesting because it kind of takes a sidestep from the main plot of the Bible. There's kind of this through line, this story arc, right? In the Old Testament, we've heard about all of these characters like Abraham and Moses that are doing these things for God's people over time. Well, the wisdom literature It's not really plot-driven at all. It's not really narrative-focused. It's a collection of advice. It's a collection of poetry. It's the best words of wisdom that the sages, the wise people of the ancient world, can offer. For my young people in the room, the wisdom literature is vibes. Okay? So we are turning to the book of Proverbs today. Um, We're going to be well, we already heard, excuse me, Uh, Amy read for us. We read from Proverbs chapter 29, and I want you to hear this scripture again, thinking through the lens of technology, of the role it plays in our lives, and thinking specifically about that quote we started with about how good things can get turned into bad things when we misuse them. So here's what Proverbs 29, our verses 22 to 27 says. Angry people stir up conflict. Hot heads cause much offense. Pride lays people low, but the humble spirit gains honor. Those who share plunder with thieves hate themselves, and even under oath they don't testify. People are trapped by their fear of others. But those who trust the Lord are secure. Many seek access to the ruler, but justice comes from the Lord. The unjust person is disgusting to the righteous. The straight path is disgusting to the wicked. So the author of this proverb paints this black and white world for us. On the one hand, we could live a life filled with all these vices, anger, conflict, hate, pride, fear. Or we could live a life filled with virtues, humility, honor, trust, security, and justice. Choosing that first option is going to lead to destruction and pain, while choosing the second option is going to lead us to abundant life, the life that Jesus offers us. But as we have this sermon series about technology, it's verse 25 that really comes to life. People are trapped by their fear of others, but those who trust in the Lord are secure. In the digital world, our lives seem to revolve around what other people think of us. Digital platforms like Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, YouTube, they're all built around presenting your life in a way that's pleasing to other people. 
right? A way that other people are going to approve of you. Social media has us obsessed with likes and comments and followers, contorting yourself into whatever shape is most pleasing for the masses. Everybody's doing that trend. I better do it too so I don't become irrelevant. Everybody's wearing those clothes. Well, I better buy them too so I can be part of the group. And it's tempting to think that this is just a problem for, like, children and youth. Some of y'all are probably sitting there thinking, like, okay, she's the youth pastor, so she sees this all the time. And sure, it's probably harder generationally, right, for young people growing up in the digital age. They have had social media, cameras pointing at them for every milestone they have ever had, good and bad. It's all out there on the internet. So I think it's an extra challenge for them. But I want to be clear that this need for approval is something that we all encounter. We are all hungry for approval. In fact, we're biologically wired to seek approval from other people, to be part of a group, to want other people to like us and welcome us in. When early humans were first evolving, they didn't have cars that could take them to a store to buy whatever food, water, and shelter they needed. Getting other people to like you was about survival. Being part of a group meant being fed. It meant being protected. To be rejected and left to fend for yourself was the death sentence in the earliest days. So this need for approval is deep within our DNA, and it was originally a good thing, right? Thinking back again to that quote, seeking other people's approval isn't inherently bad. At one time, it was survival. But even today, seeking approval can sometimes be helpful. If you have people who are good role models, who live godly lives, it's important to have people to keep each other in check, to say, no, actually, we don't approve of that behavior. You aren't going to be part of our group if you're going to act like that, right? That can be a good thing. But the twisting, the distortion, the corruption, the seeking approval for approval's sake, the making yourself into whatever other people will approve of, that's where it goes wrong. And technology only makes that all that much harder. People are trapped by their fear of others. The fear of judgment and rejection paralyzes us from being our true selves. Because we all want to be noticed, appreciated, accepted, loved. We ache for a kind word, a gentle smile, an approving glance. We want to be included and celebrated just as we are. And we want it from everybody, from our peers, our parents, our bosses, our teachers, our friends, and yes, even strangers on the internet. But here's the thing. Even if every person I just named and all the people that you're thinking of that I haven't named yet, even if every single one of them just flipped their approval switch 
They reached out to you today and said, yes, I approve. You're amazing. You're the best just as you are. Everything is perfect. Even if every single person whose opinion you have ever cared about said that to you right now, it still wouldn't be enough. It still wouldn't be enough. People are trapped by their fear of others, but those who trust in the Lord are secure. Only those whose self-worth has nothing to do with what other people think about them, only those people are secure. Only those who live not for the likes, but the love of Jesus to pour into them and pour out of them are righteous. Only those whose lives are drenched in the Holy Spirit and the fruits of the Spirit gain honor. Seeking approval isn't inherently bad, but this distortion of needing approval from humans instead of from God, is. We can play the approval game all we want. We can chase validation from other people, from the internet, from our wealth, from our achievements, you name it. Even if every person you've ever cared about suddenly approved of every part of you, it still wouldn't be enough. God's approval is the only thing that matters. The divine in you will never rest until it receives divine approval from God. The divine in you will never be content with human praise. It will never be enough. You will always be chasing and seeking and looking for more and more ways to fill that void. It will never be enough. The divine in you needs approval from its source. God's approval is the only thing that matters. And this is what I love about Jesus' baptism. If you don't know this scripture from off the top of your head, Jesus shows up at the Jordan River where John the Baptist has this line of people that he's baptizing. And Jesus says, okay, my turn. And John is like, whoa, 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 whoa. I think you got that backwards. Like, you're supposed to baptize me. But Jesus insists, and John baptizes him. And the heavens rip open, and divine approval pours out. The Spirit descends like a dove, and God proclaims, This is my Son, my beloved. With Him I am well pleased. And as beautiful as that is, my favorite thing about it is that this happens right at the beginning of the Gospels. Jesus hasn't done a dang thing yet. No miracles have been performed no water has been walked on. No water has been turned into wine. No bread has been multiplied. No demons have been cast out. No death has been defeated. He hasn't done anything. He's just been living his normal life, being a good guy, sharing kindness and gentleness and peace with the world. He is 30 years old. I know some of you are taking a deep breath. Whoa, I got till 30. He hasn't done anything yet. 
He hasn't begun his ministry. God's not pleased with Jesus because of what he has done. God is pleased because of who Jesus is. It's his heart, his character, the way he lives with people and loves them and shares with them, the way he's humble and kind and peaceful and generous. It's not what he does. It's not what he has. It's who he is. And this is really good news for us because I'm not saying I don't believe in miracles, but I'm not feeling all that confident that any one of us is going to walk on water anytime soon. It's not about what we achieve. It's about who we are. That's where God's approval comes from. Who we are. Who God made us to be. And that's the truth that we proclaim in our own baptisms. We baptize infants. They don't do anything but eat, sleep, and poop. Yet we say this is God's child. God's beloved. With them, God is well pleased. The same is true for you and for me, for each one of us. Not what you do, but who you are. People are trapped by their fear of others. But those who trust in the Lord are secure. And while that is the ultimate goal, that we could be so secure in who we are in God's eyes, that what other people have to say about us just rolls off our backs, I'll be the first one to say, I get it. People are mean. They are mean, and they are exclusive, and they are judgy, and they reject you, and they bully you, and they say things about you that hurt so deep that years later you still remember them. We all have those wounds. Some of them are old and scarred over, and some of them feel as fresh as the day the pain was first inflicted, and I know that one sermon is not going to fix that. But while we heal... And while we help other people heal, we can live as people who trust in the Lord. We can live as people who help others trust in the Lord. Ultimately, just as someone else's approval of you doesn't matter as much as God's approval, your approval of someone else doesn't matter as much as God's approval of them. But what if we started living in such a way where people never had to wonder how you feel about them? What if it was your mission to make as many people as possible know just how beloved they are? We're not God. We can't give out that divine approval that matters most. But we who are made in the image of God can bear God's image in the world by helping others trust and be secure in God's love for them. So here's what I want you to do this week. I want you to tell as many people as you can that they are loved. Text somebody out of the blue. Tell them, I love you and I'm proud of you. Stop somebody on your way out of worship and tell them, you inspire me in the way that you're always willing to serve. 
Tell your parents, tell your mentors, tell whatever adults in your lives raised you. Tell them that you're thankful, that you're grateful for the good example that they set for you. Remind people that they are already as loved as they can possibly be because God loves them. And I'm seeing some people, I'm guessing my introverts in the room go, oh, no, I don't like that. So we're going to practice. Turn to your neighbor. Tell them you are already as loved as you can be. Look them in the eyes. Say it with your chest like you really mean it. Tell your other neighbor you are already as loved as you can be. You are already as loved as you can be. That was pretty weird, right? <laughs> Kyle left the country and I went rogue. <laughs> and all seriousness, I love, I love the clapping. I'm just saying I'm an extrovert, so for me, I'm like, this is awesome. But I get, for some of you, that was probably weird. But here's the thing. Good. <laughs> because it's weird. It's so weird to really not be affected by what other people think, to really trust in the Lord, to really be that secure in who you are, in whose you are, that you don't care what negative energy other people try to bring into your life. It's weird to just pour out love, to pour out acceptance, to pour out approval to everyone you meet. It's weird. And people aren't going to get that, especially mean people. Mean people are not going to understand why you're so kind. Exclusive people are not going to understand why you are so inclusive. It's weird. The proverb tells us that in verse 27. The unjust person is disgusting to the righteous. Okay, we get that. If you're doing the right thing, someone's doing the wrong thing, of course that's disgusting. But then it says the straight path is disgusting to the wicked. People who are doing the wrong thing aren't going to understand why you're doing the right thing. And you know what? It doesn't matter because their approval is not the approval that we're seeking. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. You are already as loved as you can be because God loves you but people are still mean. And sometimes we forget. And sometimes the people in our lives forget. And sometimes we assume that they already know that we love them because we show it in our actions. And that's great. Keep doing that. But say it out loud. Try something different. Leave no room for doubt. You are already as loved as you can be. That's the new approval game. That's the new game. You are already as loved as you can be. How many people can you reassure that they are beloved? How many people have had a horrible week and need you to say that to them? How many times have you had a week where you needed someone to say that to you? You have no idea what other people are going through. There is so much harshness and pain in the world we don't need to add to it. In fact, we need to join the chorus of God's people who say, you are loved, you are loved, you are loved.
because you are already as loved as you can possibly be. Thank you for listening to the Peak Podcast. Make sure you subscribe wherever podcasts can be found. For more information on how to get connected with our church, please visit us at thepeakchurch.org.